Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this day, for any day, really. We don't deserve any one of them, and you've given us this day. And Lord, with the time that we have together in this room, let us improve ourselves, not for our own self-help so we can be better, but we want to be better for your cause. Help us to know more and more practical ways that we can share you effectively with those around us so we can be those co-laborers you want us and need us to be. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. We've been talking about the cycle of evangelism. It's based on the agricultural cycle where you have the preparing of the soil, the sowing of the seed, the cultivating of the crop, the harvesting and preserving of that crop. And all five are essential. And I, I, I started the last one and I realized I didn't answer the question. So I, I started last time with that question like with the great general conference initiative, total member involvement. If every member were involved in your church, would your church grow? Ah, and I know for the people who are just showing up, it's a trick question. You want to say yes so badly. When the correct answer is maybe. <laughs> Not necessarily. Could be, but no guarantee. Now, the reason why is because, again, we talk about this. If, if your church says our evangelism is just being friendly, doing social outreach, doing community needs, that kind of stuff. Praise God, you can have every member doing that, but if no one is sowing the seed, you can have every member involved in some part of the cycle, but if it's not sowing the seed and it's not doing the Bible studies, if it's not calling for decisions, if it's not integrating in the church, then you're going to very, very little, if any, harvest. So you, what you'll find is this interesting dichotomy now. You'll have churches that have a lot of activity, have a good name in the community, blah, 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 but they're still not growing. They say, but we've got every member involved, but we're... So just as important as to ask, are your members involved, is to say, how are your members involved, right? Because we want to make sure we're doing the whole cycle of evangelism. So we talked in more detail about phase one, the importance of preparing the soil of the heart by doing good deeds like Jesus did, disinterested benevolence. But it's not random acts of kindness, it's purposeful acts of kindness, because in sowing the seed, I mean, sorry, in preparing the soil, the purpose is to sow seed. And we should look at people like that. Yes, I want to have fun just because we like to golf together or something, but I'd really like to get in there so I can give you something better than just golf. I want to go beyond the superficial, the temporal, to the eternal. So we should have no qualms about saying, and people, you're just trying to win them to do, yes! <laughs> you're just trying to make them followers of, yes, I'm trying to make them followers of Jesus and members of Seventh Avenue's church and on fire Christians. It's better that way than any other way. So it's not like a friendship, oh, and then you brought church in, wah, wah, wah. It's not that. The highest thing you can do, the best thing you can do for your friends is give them the greatest joy in your life, which should be following the Lord. Um, anyway, so we touched on those things in the last section there, how preparing the soil of the heart leads to, or is the inevitable preparation for, the sowing of the seed, which is the word of God. At some point, you have to be... Uh, I love this passage. We didn't bring this up, but I wanted to highlight this very briefly. When it comes to the sowing of the seed, um, in the book of Ecclesiastes, it says this. And you find this in Ecclesiastes 11, uh, verses 4 through 6. You can jot that down if it's not already written down in the plant section there, which it's not. But the question is, like, well, how long do I have to wait? When is the right time? Here's a great little rule of thumb found in Ecclesiastes chapter four, uh, chapter 11, verses 4 through 6. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. Now again, it's the agriculture metaphor, but it works in the evangelistic cycle. As you do not know what is the way of the wind or how the bones grow in the womb of her who is with child, so you do not know the works of God who makes everything. Right? So you don't understand the weather, how it works. You don't know how, how babies grow. You don't know how God's stuff works. So your job isn't to understand it and wait till you get it right and then act. Your job is to do what you're told and let the miracle be on God. Okay, and he goes on to say, so in the morning, sow your seed. And in the evening, do not withhold your hand. And I love the concluding thought, for you do not know which will prosper. Amen. Now, if it just stopped right there, you're like, yeah, one, this one might prosper and that one might fail. But it gives another option. Either this or that or whether both alike will be good. What happens if I go and offer Bible studies to five people and all of them say yes? 
Wouldn't that be a great problem to have? We've had that in training. People said, you know what, I didn't think this was going to work, so I asked several people, and they all said yes, and now I've got a scheduling conflict. What a wonderful problem to run into. But we often don't think like that. We often go geared up for failure, assuming it's going to be a no. And, we, and by the way, with that assumption in mind, it comes out in our demeanor. We come up like, yeah, hi, would you like the Bible? I, I, I know you probably, and we start to demure, we start to push it away, almost talking them out of it. And they're like, no, I really don't have time for that. And you're like, yeah, I knew, I knew you probably wouldn't. It's, it's okay. <laughs> you know, and so it becomes a little bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy in that way. He's like, why don't you just confidently step forward? And if they say no, they say no. But odds are they'll say yes, and this one might, and this one might. And you just sow your seed and see what God does, okay? So anyway, I wanted to make sure we got that in there. There isn't going to, if you wait for the perfect moment, it's never going to come and Satan wins. So just sow your seed and watch what God does. Okay, but let's move on to that third element there, cultivating their own. Let's say that someone, or someone's, plural, does say yes. What do you do? What if they say, hey, have you heard about, uh, I was talking in church this week. Oh, you go to church? I've always wanted to go. I, you know, I, I grew up as a Christian. I didn't And now all of a sudden this ball starts rolling that way. You're like, oh, oh snap, there's a spiritual interest here. I got one on the line. What, what do I do now? Set the hook. <laughs> what do you do? You know, and, and maybe we're switching to a fishing analogy now. I didn't mean to do that, but <laughs> what happens when you start to see receptivity, response coming up, and they're like, "Yeah, there," and you come like, "Oh, we got a spiritual interest here." Uh, I don't. I, I'm, I'm guessing a lot of people are like, ah, <laughs> oh, didn't know what to do there. If people are interested in spiritual truth, what they need. Like, if the seed is the Word of God, they need to grow in that Word of God, right? So they need more Bible, and the way to grow people spiritually is through a study of the Word of God. Right? This is why we're cultivating through Bible studies, right? Now listen to this. This is found in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2. You might be familiar with the passage. It says, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the Word that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. So if you've had a taste, if you have an interest, if you've got a, hmm, that might be something I'm into, then what they need is the Word of God so they can grow. The seed has been planted, and what makes that seed grow is the Word of God. So cultivating that seed of the Word with consistent, regular study of the Word. You see this in Acts chapter 8. Uh, one of my favorite examples of this is Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. Uh, Philip was on his way well, the, the eunuch was on his way back from Jerusalem, and you can find this again in Acts chapter 8, starting in the verse 30 there, where this Ethiopian was returning from Jerusalem, and it says in verse 30, So Philip ran to him and had heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, Now look at this powerful, incisive question. Do you understand what you're reading? Pause right there. I'm not even going to make a rhetorical question. I'm going to make it an assertion that we're all going to agree with. There are many people who might claim to be Christians, be members of a church, own Bibles, but not understand what they're looking at. Think about this, Ethiopian. Where was he coming back from? Jerusalem. By the way, just as a side note, people like to use this as an example of a quick baptism. Hey, he said the name Jesus. Let's baptize him. What, you know, doctrinal truths do you think he might have bumped into in Jerusalem? <laughs> do you think he might have learned about, I don't know, some of the symbols of the sanctuary and the feasts that point to the Savior? Sure. Do you think about the lamb and the sacrifices? Sure. How about that Seventh-day Sabbath? Think he might have heard about that in Jerusalem? <laughs> You know, all the doctrinal things that point to Jesus, right? But what was the missing part of his theology? Jesus, right? So he had all this structural stuff, and he knew it was right, but he didn't know what it all hinged on, right? He had all the spokes, but he didn't have the axle, right? And so he didn't understand what he was trying to piece it together. Verse 31, he said, how can I unless someone, what? Guides me. He recognized, I know there's truth in here, and I want to know it, I want to, but there's stuff I, I need someone to put the pieces together for me to walk me through this thing. Friends, there are plenty of people in our 
21st century uh, North American context, you know, who are Christian in a general sense or from a cultural upbringing, a heritage, but they don't know for themselves the Word of God. And there's a longing in their heart like this man had to know Jesus from the Word. How can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. And that's exactly what happened. Philip gave him a Bible study specifically on the stuff that he didn't know, right? And this is what we taught. Listen to Evangelism, page 338. It is not preaching alone that must be done. Far less preaching is needed. More time should be devoted to patiently educating others, giving the hearers opportunities to express themselves. It is instruction that many need, line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little and there a little. So let's talk about the agricultural cycle again. We're just going to spend a couple minutes on this today. We're going to get more in depth on this in later sessions. But how long does it take to, let's say that you're a, a hobby gardener or something like that, how long does it take to, to prepare the soil for your seeds you're going to plant? It depends on the soil. It depends on the nature of the soil and the tools you have to work with. But if you've got a, like a rototiller and like, you know, a quarter acre or something, like, you're just going to... Maybe a day, right? And you're done. How long does the sowing of the seed and getting the seed in the ground, how long does that take? Not, not really long. I mean, you might have a day for this and a day for that, but you're, you're done, you know, in a good day or two. You know, that's it. Now, as the crop starts to grow, how long does that take? Months. That's why I don't like, I mean, I, I love the produce from a garden, but I don't like the gardening. I don't have patience for it. I tell you, even they used to go to vacation Bible school and all those little camp meeting things, I, I can almost guarantee some little kid during this week is going to be given a paper cup or a styrofoam cup with a little bit of dirt and a seed in it. I couldn't stand that. Because you're like, you're so excited. I'm expecting in my little eight-year-old head that there's a Jack and the Beanstalk thing going to happen. It's going to be fantastic, right? But I go home and I put that thing and I do the water and I put it in the windowsill and I come back the next day and it's dirt. Right? And the next day and it's dirt. And I'm starting to get, what is this? What kind of boring experience? And it is. Right? And it finally comes up and I can't even recognize the thing. It's, I'm expecting laden with fruit. No, it's a long time. Same thing happens in the garden, right? It takes a long time before you see anything start to happen. And then when it does, there's weeds you got to take care of, and you got to guard against the animals and the insects, and then there's the weather, and you, if it gets too dry, you got to water it. You gotta, and it takes a long time to grow and sort it out. And then some of them just die off. You're like, well, I thought he did everything. He did everything right, and they still fail. <sighs> the same thing is true in the working of the soul, right? It's easy, relatively speaking, to do the friendship stuff. It's even easy to hand out that literature and invite to that event or share this one. Knock on the door. But what happens if they say yes? Man, I am interested. And they like the Ethiopian. Can you sit here with me and study the Word of God? Automatically, that's a commitment of time. Amen. It, it, it's a process, right? And it can be frustrating. It's the most time-consuming part. And uh, Mark Tower's brother, Jim Howard, used to talk about how this is the bottleneck. It's the evangelism bottleneck because we can get interests, but it's the following up on them, working with them individually, making schedules, dealing with, oh, the kids had this practice this afternoon, I got sick this week, and we're out of town, this, and this, and, and I didn't under, and, you, and we have this mindset, like, I'm just going to give them a Sabbath study, get it, and they're going to be Sabbath keepers. <laughs> but you know, they might actually have some questions, especially as it applies to their life and stuff. And it might take, it is a long which is, by the way, whenever we don't do the preparing of the soil, we don't do the sowing of the seed, and we don't do the Bible studies ahead of time, when we get to the harvest, now we, we expect the evangelistic campaign to be nice to people, win their confidence, and then preach the word of God, and get all the Bible studies done, and in the end of four weeks, they're ready to be. And then when we see, we don't do any of that other stuff, we just hold a big evangelistic campaign, and we don't have many people who are ready to go, we're like, ah, evangelism doesn't work. No, because what you've done isn't evangelism. I don't know what to call it, but it's at best incomplete. Right? So that time of walking through the scripture is... Blowing the carbon out of the combine. <laughs> What's that? Blowing the carbon out of the combine. You know, Blowing the carbon out of the combine. 
You're not doing anything else, just get the combine out once a year. Yeah, which is great. I'm running around the yard with the combine. Yeah, what are the odds? So it's not going to work out too well, right? By the way, let me just end this section on this. We keep talking about revival and reformation. And praise the Lord for that. We need revival and reformation. Mrs. White was very clear about that. She was absolutely right. It's our greatest need. But what would it look like if it actually happened? Like we pray for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Well, what would it look like? I can tell you that even though I wouldn't have articulated this way, I, I have a latent assumption that I have this assumption that you know that the Holy Spirit's going to go. Shh, we're just going to be alive at the end time and watch all these marvelous miracles happen and be a witness to His working. Mrs. White was shown in vision what that great reformatory movement would look like when it happens. And this is it. In Visions of the Night, you can find this in volume 9, page 196 of the Testimonies. In Visions of the Night, representations passed before me of a great reformatory movement among God's people. Many were praising God. The sick were healed and other miracles were wrought. A spirit of intercession was seen as even it was manifested before the great day of Pentecost. And then she adds, hundreds and thousands were seen visiting families and opening before them the word of God. Amen. The Word of God is going to go throughout the whole world, but it's not going to be in front of us like a performance way. <gasps> We're alive to watch it. There he goes. It's going to be through us that God's going to reach the world with the gospel. And it's going to be visiting families in their homes, opening the Word of God. And that's how it's going to work. Mark, now, come up and talk to us about harvesting. We're going to be covering more of these things in detail, so I'm not going to spend as much time, but what we looked at in the cycle is... The preparing of the soil, the sowing of the seed, the cultivating of the seed, moving into the harvest. Now, three passages I'm going to bring up very quickly. You can look at them if you'd like to. Psalm 126, 5 and 6. We have one of our hymns based on this psalm. It says in Psalm 126, 5 and 6, Those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. He who continually goes forth weeping... Bearing seed for sowing shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves, what? What are the sheaves representing? Or what are they? They're the harvest, right? Don't miss that. Let's go to the next verse in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. The Apostle Paul says, but this I say, he who sows sparingly will also what? Reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Now, reaping is talking about harvesting. And what I want you to know in the last two verses is the focal point is the harvest. Right? It's not, I'm going to go out and weed the garden. I'm going to plant some seed. The whole reason is we want to see a harvest. So in Psalm 126, it's the assurance of the harvest. There's going to be a harvest. In, in 2 Corinthians 9, make sure you, you sow bountifully because it, what we want is a bountiful harvest. And finally, in Galatians 6 and verse 9, Galatians 6 and verse 9, Galatians 6 and verse 9, the Bible says, And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall what? Reap, if we don't lose heart. Where's the focus again? It's the harvest. We can talk about Jesus when he was witnessing the woman at the well and when, when he was, his disciples came back and, and uh, he hadn't gotten any water and the woman is, is coming and he points to the woman and he, and, and he says, uh, uh, look at the fields. Aren't, it's, it, aren't the, the fields are already white under the harvest and repeatedly the focal point is the harvest. And so it should be with us. And this is what we were talking about before the break. We're not just planting seeds to plant seeds. We want to see people become part. We want to see them commit their lives to Jesus Christ, be part of his church, and part of his last day in and saving other souls. And that's really uh, what should be motivating us. So when we come to the harvest part of the cycle, this is where a person, they've had the seed planted. They've had some way to cultivate that seed. Through Bible study, some, some method of Bible study. I'm not sure if Cameron brought that up, but it's the only way to the only way to cultivate a seed is some method of Bible study. Now maybe Pastor Doug's given a Bible study through a series on three again. Maybe they're getting it one-on-one, -on -one. maybe they're getting it in a church meeting with a, a group study, whatever. But the only way for the seed or the word of God to grow in the life is to be learning more about it, 
and putting it into practice. It's the only way the word grows into life. And so, as a person is going through that process, they come to that point where they are going to commit their lives to Jesus. Okay? Just because you're hearing the word and even practicing the word does not mean you've committed your life to Jesus. Case in point, go to Luke chapter 5, and you'll find that the disciple Peter was with Jesus. He was preaching. Peter had been fishing all night. The disciples had been called the disciples of Jesus. They were, they were spending time with Jesus. But it was that particular event where the Bible says that Jesus turned to Peter and he says, from now on, you're going to catch men. Right? He, throw the fish. he told him to throw his net back out in the water. Peter said, we fished all night. We caught nothing. Jesus said, hey, throw it in. And you're going to catch the fish. Peter throws in the net. Immediately caught the fish. And then Jesus says, you'll catch men. And the Bible says, immediately they left their nets and followed him. Now, the only reason I make that point is, they had been with Jesus. They had heard him preach. They had followed him. But that didn't mean they committed to him. And as you're studying with people, they're growing, they're learning about Jesus. But there comes a point where they decide they're in with Jesus. They commit their lives to him. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about the harvest. Um... I actually, I shouldn't, I, I shouldn't say, I shouldn't limit it to that. In an ultimate sense, that's what we're talking about. I say that, we're going to get into this tomorrow. When a person begins studying the Bible, there are points of decision all along the way. If you don't understand that, you're going to get frustrated in your soul winning efforts. Because what's going to happen, and I've seen it happen, is, well, I did some Bible studies and we went through 32 lessons and at the end of the lesson I asked them if they wanted to get baptized and they said they didn't think so. If you waited until lesson 32 to put any kind of spiritual practical question, it was too too late. That, that ship has sailed. And part of that becomes comes with the fact that when you learn spiritual truth, the Holy Spirit is prompting an action on that truth right away. And that happens repeatedly. We're going to talk about that when we talk about Bible studies. But a lot of times when we talk about harvest, we're talking about, you know, they can, a person can make those different decisions, but they're not necessarily committed to Christ. So we usually talk about the harvest, the harvest we're looking for. It's that commitment of the life to Christ. Now that's not the end of the process. Um, from there we move into discipleship. That is, once a person has made their commitment to Christ, um, there's a whole lot of stuff that needs to go on to get acclimated into the church. And perhaps you remember when you first joined the church. And there's all kinds of stuff you don't know yet. Um, there's all kinds of stuff that you might better never know. <laughs> um, there are things that go on in churches. And churches and the people in the churches are people. And they're, in fact, Pastor Doug Batchelor made this point once, and I've never forgot it. That the, the problem with the church is that there's people in it. And uh, there's a lot that happens when a person comes into the church. They just learned a bunch of stuff that was new to them, and they've got to review that. And then there are things in the church that they're just totally unacquainted with, and they don't know people in the church. And all of this comes in to the process of discipleship. And we're going to spend a little more time on this this week. Uh, not as much. We're not going to spend as much time going through discipleship resources. Most of you should be aware of the resource called the Discipleship Handbook. Yes. And that started out here in the Michigan Conference. It is a general conference resource now. It's available through the Review and Herald. And um, it's, a, it's a book that outlines a discipleship plan. Let me make something plain to you. The book is not the plan. I say that because the, the book along, in fact, the first editions of the Discipleship Handbook had a separate guide called the Mentor's Guide. And in reissuing the book, we made sure the Mentor Guide was put into the book because, strangely enough, a lot of people were interested in the book, but not the Mentor's Guide. <laughs> the idea was not that the book was just something that would be read, but that in this, it was outlining a process in which you were meeting with a person once a week and, and connecting them with things in the church, with people in the church, inviting them over to lunch, arranging family worships, very practical elements that are outlined in that guide. I've had leaders in my churches where we've had a person got baptized, that leader was appointed to be their discipleship mentor, and this is what it amounted to. I'm going to pick on Nick again. They would say, so let's say Nick is newly baptized. You say, okay, well, here's a great book on discipleship. 
go ahead and read it. Actually, this is a great book on discipleship. But it's like, you know, go ahead and read that. If you have any questions, let me know. That's like Jesus calling the 12 and saying, yeah, here's some scrolls of Jeremiah and Isaiah. And if you guys have any questions, you know where to find me. That is not discipleship. <laughs> discipleship is a mentorship. It involves a person being there and walking and guiding and, and coaching through different things. And that's an essential part of the process. Now, one big takeaway in all of this is that if we just think agriculture... A farmer who skipped any one of these phases we're talking about from an agricultural sense would not have a successful crop. Some, it would fall apart at whatever one of those phases was missing. So it is in the spiritual. You can't just, for example, hold a big evangelistic meeting and think that that's going to grow your church. If you're not doing the soil preparation, if you're not doing the seed sowing, if you're not doing the cultivating, you can't just do seed sowing and cultivating. Get people to say yes to Bible studies and get Bible studies without doing public evangelism, without doing soil preparation. You understand? You can't, you can't leave any of that out or your work is going to be incomplete. And that's what we see when, when we, as we go around to churches and we talk to people and they say, yeah, our church isn't growing the way we want it to. It's not surprising when we get into the discussion a little bit that we find out that some of these phases are being skipped entirely. Well, yeah, we don't, yeah, we, I guess we don't do that like we should. What do you mean like we should? Well, at all. <laughs> you know, and sometimes not like, but all of these pieces are essential. So when we're talking about, we've, what we've done is we've talked in broad strokes about the soul winning process. Now, I'm going to read a statement to you that you're going to see the tie-in in just a minute. I'm going to read a statement that you're familiar, most of you should be familiar with this, maybe not. Uh, it's found in Ellen White's book, Ministry of Healing, and she talks about Christ's method alone here. And this is what she says. And I want you to listen carefully, because if you've heard it before, you think you know it probably better than you're going to know it, because I'm going to ask you questions about it. Listen carefully. Christ's method alone will give true success in reaching the people. The Savior mingled with men as one who desired their good. He showed his sympathy for them, ministered to their needs, and won their confidence. Then he bade them, follow me. Now first, what you might not pick up on is that this statement I just read is the entire cycle, the growth cycle, the cycle of evangelism. The whole thing is right there. Okay, so we're not, like Cameron said earlier, we're not making stuff up. And here's what I want to ask you, a couple questions on this. The Savior mingled with men. Why did he mingle with men? It's in the statement. It's in the statement, the answer to the question I'm asking. Why did the Savior mingle with men? I'm going to read the whole statement again, so I want you to get this. Christ's method alone will give true success in reaching the people. The Savior mingled with men as one who desired their good. He showed his sympathy for them ministered to their needs, and won their confidence, then he bade them follow me. Why did he mingle? Why did he... Okay, now listen. He mingled as one who desired the good. He showed his sympathy and ministered to their needs. All of those things were for another purpose. All of them were for another purpose. Now I heard... Hold on. I heard somebody else say something. Confidence. Win their confidence. Okay, to win their confidence. That's correct. He mingled with men as one who desired their good. He showed his sympathy, ministered to their needs, and won their confidence. Think about it in your context. Why do you mingle with somebody to try to get to know them? Why do you show your sympathy? Why do you meet their needs? That's a prop that you're building a relationship. You're building a relationship to build that friendship. You want to win their confidence. If people don't have confidence in you, they're going to be standoffish, right? Once they have confidence, they open up. They warm up a little bit. Isn't that true? And likewise, we do. You know, we, it, it's understandable. You know, I've talked to students about door-to-door -door work. And, oh, I've got to refrain from going into another story here. But it's understandable why somebody might not just respond to you right away when you knock on the door and say, hey, would you be interested in Bible studies? Back. I had this happen in, I've done this in several churches now, where I've asked the church members, if somebody came and knocked on your door, would you say, 
Like, would you be like, yeah, they've knocked on your door and said, hey, do you want to do Bible studies? Would you say yes or no? no. How many would you say yes right away? See, you're a good Adventist. You're like, ah, some of you are like, yeah, I would do it. How many of you say, yeah, I would do it? Why would you do it? Those who raise your hands. Because I want to study with them. Because you want to what? Study with them. And do what? <laughs> you want to convince them of the truth, right? You want to convince them of the truth. And so a lot of times when you knock on doors, you cold calling, knocking on doors, you never met the person, and you're going around, you know who says yes to your studies? Usually it's the people that are the least receptive to your studies. They want to show you the truth just like you would want to show the truth. It's not odd that you knock on a door and a person that's going to say, no, I'm not interested. I say that because a lot of we've got a lot of church members who go out and follow. Maybe it's not knocking on doors or something else. They're like, "Well, nobody's interested." That's not true. But they don't know you yet. And in our crazy society, do I even need to get into that? I mean, some of the bizarre things I read in the news anymore, I, I just can't even believe it. But I'm not going to go there either. So Jesus is winning confidence of the people. The reason he didn't. This one, I, I don't want you to miss this. The reason he mingled. The reason he showed sympathy. Okay, he's our example, right? The reason that he met their needs was that he was trying to win their confidence. Why was he trying to win their confidence? To bid them follow him. That was his goal in the whole process. It wasn't like, well, I, you know, if they if they want to follow me and they don't, take it or leave it. He's his desire was he could get to a place where they would follow him. Okay? It's still his desire. And he works through us, and it should be our desire. And so in this whole cycle, the reason for this, this process is it helps us to see how it works, not just for the church and not in big, you know, broad strokes, but in your personal experience, it's a roadmap for what it takes to lead a person to Christ. I'm going to tell you something that I, I don't know if you accepted this, but I hope you have. Every one of you here, every one of you here, without the pastor, without the elders, you might be pastor elder, but that's, you get what I'm saying. You personally can lead a person to Christ to commit themselves to the Seventh-day Adventist message to be ready for baptism. You can do that yourself. The Spirit of God has enabled you to do that. I mean, now in our church, you're not going to baptize them, the pastor or somebody, you know, there's... But my point is, you can lead somebody through the process. And I put down the handout. I, I titled this the Soul Winning Roadmap. And this is something that I've just been, Cameron and I have been talking about this, and I've been thinking a lot about it lately as far as, let me give you this example. Let me say one other thing before I do, though. Somebody approached me during the break on this. When we're looking at this cycle of evangelism with the, preparing and the planting and the cultivating and the harvesting and the reaping. Those are nice, on the logo, they're nice little tight, concise circles. But it's not that way in the church or with everything we do. Everything doesn't fit in a neat little bundle. Somebody can ask me specifically about it. Like a lot of times we talk about health ministry and we talk about health ministry as a great avenue for preparing the soil. That doesn't mean that's the only function it can have. And so and somebody asked me about that during the break. People themselves are in, in any church, there is a person who in their personal experience is in one of every phases of those experientially. There are people who are, uh, well, in the church, you're generally not going to have those who need the soil prepared or they wouldn't be in the church. Uh, typically, they've had the soil prepared. and they're In other words, the friendship has been at least enough. Um, there, there's an openness to the truth when they come to the church. But you have people there who have really barely heard anything about what the Bible says. You have people there that have maybe had a few Bible studies and they know a little more about what the Bible says, but they've not really committed to a lot. You have people there that are ready to commit the whole thing and they're just wondering when somebody's going to ask them to be baptized. You got people who are just baptized, but they haven't been discipled. You understand what I'm saying? You get all of this going on in every church. Uh, so I just wanted to say that, that I don't want anybody to get the idea that we're trying to put everything into a, oh, what was the word I was using? I was talking to somebody about this earlier. 
Well, rigid works, but it's it's not compartmentalized. We we want to compartmentalize everything and put it in a tight. Um, I just want you to understand that when you're talking about soul winning, I wish I really wish sometimes it was a one size fits all, and I could give you the three magic steps, and it will always work with every individual. But it's not that way. People are different. Uh, that's why we talked about the seed sowing. Somebody can sow the seed and. In the same day, preparing the soil, sowing the seed, and giving Bible study number one. Somebody else, it takes you a month and a half to do that. It may take you a year to do that. You understand what I'm saying? But what I want to talk about is very personal now. Um, this is your personal Christian experience of witnessing. I was visiting a church recently. I'm going to talk to you about a pat from a pastor perspective, but from a personal perspective, and you'll get what I mean in a minute. I was visiting a church here in Michigan. And a couple was visiting that Sabbath who was Messianic Jewish. Now, if you know anything about Messianic Jewish, they, they believe, they, 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 they're Jewish, but they believe in Jesus. Okay? So they still believe in a lot of the tenets of Judaism, but they, unlike the Jewish, the Orthodox Jews who don't accept that Jesus was the Messiah, they believe Jesus was Christ was the Messiah. Okay? And so they're there visiting, and they told me, I was, a, I was just a visiting speaker that day, uh, in fact, Tyler Church Church, you know the couple. And so they're there visiting, and they said, we're here, because I think they said it was their second or third Sabbath or something like that. They've been there before. But they said, we're here because it's the only Sabbath-keeping church in the area that we know of. Okay? Now, my mind immediately goes into a process. Let me, let me back up a little further. Let me just get out of the spiritual realm for a minute. Have you ever had a task that you have to work on and you process the steps it's going to take you to finish it? I, I, may, be, I may do that more than, than, than some others. There are times like I was working on refinishing my deck last summer. And I'd come home from work and I had limited time. So I knew I had to, I had to when I got home, I had to right away start doing this, this, this. And I would process on my drive home. So I'm working in Lansing, and I'm driving this hour distance now. So I'm driving home, and I'm thinking, so I'm processing all this stuff. And I'm thinking, when I gotta get home, when I get home, first thing I gotta do, I gotta change my clothes. You know, right on down, I gotta change out of my, change into my work clothes. I've gotta get out the sander. I've gotta get out the this and that. Um, it's supposed to rain at, you know, 8.30, so I've gotta get done by 8.30. You know, I've got all this going on in my mind, but I'm thinking through the process of getting the job done. Does anybody do that? Can you relate to that? I mean, it may not be working and sanding a deck or whatever else, but just thinking to the end of something. Pastors do that. I shouldn't say that. They should do that. Many do. Some don't. When it comes to visitors in a church, when it comes to neighbors, when it comes to other people in soul winning, when you meet a person who, who you know is not a Christian, you are thinking through the process of what's it going to take to get them to be a Christian. You're not simply thinking of a globe trip. I remember one of my first churches that I organized the church to go for outreach, and we went out and we surveyed the community. And when we got done, I, the, we came back together and I asked everybody, so what was our goal today? And, and some of them said to get the surveys done. Well, were we just surveying people to survey? Now, there are religious surveys to find out. That wasn't our goal. Well, to get a Bible study in the home. Okay, now we're getting somewhere. But that's not it. What was the goal? When we go out into the community to witness, what is the goal? To win people. To find we people want, we want that person to make their decision for Christ. That's my goal. I'm not happy until that goal is accomplished, until they're made a disciple of Jesus. Amen. So there are steps that go. So that's what I'm saying is this goes through in my mind. When I met this Messianic Jewish couple, I'm thinking to myself, and of course, I, I'm not from the area, but I'm still thinking, what are the things that I have in common? that I can begin, even now, to, to extend a dialogue. You know, they may be heading out the door. How can I keep them here in a conversation to build that up a little bit, you know? And, and if I find a like or a dislike, you know, oh, you have a, hey, you have a dog and I have a dog. You know, maybe that's it. Oh, it's an Australian Shepherd. I have an Australian Shepherd. You know, you're looking for these avenues, knowing that 
if I can begin to build that relationship, this is that first part, that first phase, I'm thinking through that process in my mind, because that, that's not going to do it, you know, I, I'm going to build that relationship so that I can sow the seed. Now in this case, there's already some seed sown, right? They're already there in, in regard to the Sabbath and some other things, and so I could ask them in this particular setting, would you be interested in doing a Bible study together? Still thinking all the while that a Bible study is not going to accomplish the goal, but if I can get in a series of Bible studies, by God's grace we can go through those Bible studies and they begin to learn more about Bible truths so that they can commit their lives to Jesus. But then I'm not done because then... Now, all I'm telling you is all of this is going on in my mind, like what steps are necessary? Part of that, part of that is pastoral ministry, but part of it I've had before I was ever a pastor. I, because pastor or no pastor. Folks, the first Seventh-day Adventist I, church I joined, um, and I told you before the break, uh, the pastor, I told the pastor, I was not converted when I was baptized. I was on my road. I told the pastor, I don't know, I don't believe what the Seventh-day Adventist church teaches about caffeine and jewelry and Ellen White. And the pastor said, that's okay, we'll baptize you into Jesus. <laughs> now, I don't know how you baptize somebody into Jesus without baptizing them in the teachings of Jesus, but he thought he could. And I've always had people say, well, it worked for you, didn't it? Yeah, for me and the 99 that didn't. There's always one that does, so we keep doing these stupid things. The devil tricks us that way. But um, when I was when I was when, when I was converted, I knew that I had to share Christ with others. So it was before I was in my church. My church wasn't doing anything. wasn't doing anything evangelistic. So does that excuse me? Yes or no? Does it excuse you? And I remember my brother Jim and I were baptized on the same day in the same way. He also. Didn't believe in the church standards, and we were both baptized in Jesus. But as we began to learn, we knew that we had to share Christ with others. And our church wasn't doing anything, so we came up with, we created our own ministry. We called it Highways and Hedges Ministries. And, you know, taking out of that, the gospel of Luke, where the, the, in that parable, he says, go to the highways and the hedges and compel the people to come in that my house may be filled. The Lord telling to go win souls for the kingdom. Anyway, to make a long story short, we did that because it's we just knew we had to do something. For I never <laughs> had been trained, never had any training. But we knew that we had to do something. I'm saying all this to say this. As, as I'm telling you what I'm thinking as a pastor, the reality is that every one of our church members should look at every visitor the same way. It should not take a pastor to do that. When a bit... Do you know what deism is? Deism, the belief that God created this world, but he's not a personal God. He created it and then left it, and he went on to bigger and better things. How many of you are deists here? I don't see any hands. I'm going to ask you to give you a chance. How many are deists? You don't believe there's a personal God involved in this world. Because if you aren't a deist, you may be an atheist or something. I should clarify that. How many believe in a personal God? See your hands for that. If you believe in a personal God, then like me, you know that nothing happens by accident. You don't live where you live by accident. You don't work where you work by accident. You don't bump into the people randomly that you bump into by accident. There is not randomly. God, there is a God who ordains everything in the affairs of men. In all our interactions. So every member should look at those meetings, connections they have. The same way that I just described to you, what would it take to get this soul into the kingdom? Now, there are some people I don't have as clear an answer, but I'll tell you this. I know that in every case, somebody asked me recently, how do we reach somebody in the LGBTQ plus community? How do we do that? And I would talk to some young people. And I know how it is today. We've got all these edgy new ways. of it. You know how we're going to do it? Christ's method alone. Hmm. Because it is the only way that's going to bring success. That's right. And what is it? 
Folks, I don't care who it is. You've got to show you care. You've got to show sympathy. You've got to build that relationship and that friendship that opens up the avenue to share spiritual things. You can't not share the spiritual things. That has to come. And so the soil has to be prepared. The seed has to be planted. Once the seed is planted, then the cultivation begins. It doesn't matter. I mean, there are nuances that are different that we may touch on. But when it comes down to the bedrock realities, it's that method of this cycle. And that growth cycle, if you understand the basics of that, can be the roadmap that should guide you in any situation on your way to leading people into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And if you just use what you know to do that, the Lord will multiply what you know and bless it to the salvation of souls. Are you following what I'm saying there? Cameron, you want to highlight anything here? You don't have any thoughts on this? I'm, I'm, I'm astonished here. Well, I was kind of done with my story, so that I, if I get into another story, who knows? I'll share something. I'd like to share something from Bazaar of Ages 370. She says, we can... Sure, share it with the microphone. Bazaar of Ages 370 says, we can impart only that which we receive from Christ, and we can receive only as we impart to others. As we continue imparting, we continue to receive, and the more we impart, the more we shall receive. Thus, we may be constantly believing, trusting, receiving, and imparting. Amen. Thank you. That's an excellent statement. Now, I'm asking you this because what I'm about to do, if you don't have comment, is I'm going to get some comment. Get some comments. Okay. We've been talking a lot. All right. Well, you've been talking a lot. So, here's what I want to know from some of you. It could be any, that this is a broad spectrum here. Either you are witnessing on a fairly regular basis and sharing your faith, or you're really not because you've been a little bit unsure about either how to approach people, you have, um, you've not thought about the process of leading, maybe you have witnessed to somebody, but you're like at a standstill and you're like, I don't know what to do next. I mean, I shared a glow track, but I don't know. I want to get a little feedback from you as to where you might be in this. Maybe you, what we've talked about is like old hat, and you're like, no, I got all that. It's all down. I got it. I understand it. I understand that whole growth cycle, and I'm working that, working some people through with that. Or maybe you're not. So I want to get a little bit of feedback of where you might be, or maybe some things you might be struggling with on that witnessing front. Uh, and, and so, um, share what you're going to share, but I'm going to ask that we have a big number of people so I can get more people in to try to keep it to like a few minutes. Um, I'm here to learn how to give Bible studies one-on-one. -on -one. I have done a lot of witnessing in my uh, time starting when I was eight years old going door-to-door. -door. Um, and I um, also went uh, for Growing Michigan uh, with... Joshua Polhaki, I was the first person to go with him. Uh, but in my church, I also do some things. When I was a bulletin secretary, I uh, at the end of the month, I would take the uh, bulletins and send them to the people that are either shut-ins or those that I see that haven't come for a while. I also uh, asked for the entire um, membership list because I found out that only a third of the people attended church. And uh, so I wanted to know where the 120, you know, all 120 were. And I was given, I asked and I was given the address of all of them. And I called uh, Patty and uh, Nathan Green and ordered um, postcards. And on their postcards, not the original couple, but all the other ones after he, the ones he did, there's always a verse on there. Um, and so uh, I divvied up all the lit, all 120 into 52 weeks, so I knew, and I started the alphabetical order, and I send them cards. Uh, each week I had different people, and I send them cards, and I said, this week, your Brooklyn church is praying for you and your family. 
And since I was a bulletin secretary, in the bulletin, I would, every week I would put in, and this is who we are asking the church to pray for this week. And we got response, responses, and a couple of families came back and started coming to church. Uh, because I thought, yeah, we need to, and we also have a ministry where we have a booth, and we hand out books, and we collect names in that. And uh, just now, so we have to be ready also for negative responses. One lady asked her, uh, asked us to take her off her, off the books because a church that believes in a three Godhead is not her church. That's Catholic church. And so the, that I handed over to the pastor. She wrote a little card in that. <laughs> Uh, That's what you do with all the negative responses, yeah. like you know, all these positive ones, but the negative one we gave to the pastor. The pastor, yeah. So, uh, uh, we're fix uh, that this week. yeah, yeah. Our, uh, uh, one of our elders laughed, and so one of his missions was ministry department, and so uh, I think because of what I did when I was a bulletin secretary, and because I studied my Bible in depth, although I feel that I don't know and I need to mo know more, I'm going to do one-on-one -on -one study. Um, they chose me to do the ministry thing, so I'm collecting all I can here to help myself out. Right. So I need a lot of help. Well, we hope to we hope to get it. So I want you to take just what she talked about. I want you to think through that. This is that's very good. I appreciate what you shared, but I'm going to tell you that it's incomplete. And what I mean is, a lot of churches do this. We send out cards. People start coming back or do some. We're all excited, and that's great. Is our work done? No. If somebody hasn't been in a regular habit of coming, they might need further Bible study. They might need, in, 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 in fact, you're not going to know what they need unless somebody has some kind of a sit-down visit to discover those things. And I'm only saying this not to negate what was shared there, but I want you each, and I'm hoping through our time here, it will help you to start thinking more through a process of when, when something like that is going on in your church, something good, that you'll ask yourself, are, are these individuals or whatever they're working with, they're coming back, are they, with, are they where they need to be, or is there another step that needs to take place so that they, um, they are, what do I want to say? I don't want to just say grounded, but well, it's more like, secure and, and in, in a sense, because I heard several things in your testimony there, man, where she was talking about how um, you have all these members and you're trying to find them and, and re get the. There is this gap between the attending and participating membership and those who are on the books, and it's a very sizable thing. Uh, I know this is getting off the personal roadmap kind of thing, but those issues we're seeing in our District Six work and all kinds of things, and there can be honestly what I call the discouragement gap when you have 10 people involved with everything that your church does, but there's 150 people on the books, and you're always doing, it's like, why isn't anybody, but you flip it around and say, what if 10 people working just, the same 10 people working just as hard, but there are only 10 members in the church? How would your attitude be? Oh, that'd be great, because we got everybody working. You, the same work has a different feeling when you have that big gap of, so there's a lot of people, I think Mark talked, touched on that the other day about follow-up interests within the membership roles of the church books themselves, and a visitation plan with the elders and the full deacons and the membership, um, pruning the church a bit with the books and auditing those. There's a lot of work that could be done there that's really essential, um, but it's not really on the personal roadmap thing, but we are going to touch on some of those issues as we go forward in the week. Yeah, we're actually going to go into missing member ministry. I mentioned what? that earlier today. Now, is this on what he's saying, or is this on what I'd asked earlier? New topic. Okay, so I'm going to get this hand first and then your hand. I think that uh, the best people to reach are your friends, the people you know and relatives. Um, I um, moved back from Detroit to where I live in northern Michigan like a year, well, it'll be two years ago this summer, and I invited my sister-in-law and my brother at that time for Bible studies. Nothing happened, like you were saying, mm -hmm. and not until I had another Bible study with somebody I knew and I invited them to that and it was like months later she called is that still open you know and I've seen that happen before where people you know friends 
our relatives are the best um, pool of people to reach to begin with. You want to comment on that? Well, I think that there, I mean, I don't want to say yes and no, but I mean, that some people, that's a great fertile, you know, potential grounds for, you know, great, but other people are like, that's actually the worst because they know you and they're not, you know, you're, uh, Jesus ran into that, you know, a prophet is not welcome in his hometown and they try to kill him. Um, so <laughs> there is a... This is the Ecclesiastic example of this or that or exactly. both alike. Perfect. That's the great place for it because you don't know if it's going to work. So the thing is tried out. But what I do want to... A don't get push, myopic. Exactly. What I do want to push back against is saying like the best one is this. So I'm going to go after this one, right? Because I think that there's a lot of people who go back to the parable of the sower are like really intent on that stony hearted friend or family member or coworker, And they just keep throwing seed at the thing and... There's plenty of good ground over here. I, I think that we might, I think there's a lot of Adventists who might do better with strangers, but we just never go and talk to them. We don't know. And we're intent on, like, any, and, and I'm, I almost get a little worried when we have pass out the prayer cards. I'm going to pray for these five people. I'm going to invite these five people. Well, praise the Lord, do those, but don't limit it to that. Because those are, you're probably going to, these are the people I want the most. My son has been away from the church for this, and I'm going to win him. It's like, well, you may not be the best person to win him. You may be eating someone else. You go win somebody else's son, you know what I'm saying? And so we just need to sow beside all waters, but not neglect the one, but also not get so focused on that. That becomes our goal in life, and we there's a lot we missed. So, anyway. Okay, so we have a few minutes left, so this will be our last <laughs> yes, question for today. Okay. So going back to the people we know, um, I have been working at a school uh, for the last three years uh, where most of the people I, I know and got to work with are, uh, are Muslims. And we actually have a lot of good spiritual discussions, but it always seems to come down to the point they want me to, to read the Quran and I want them to read the Bible. And where do we go from there? Okay. Marco, let's take that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a, it's a good question. Um, I don't know. You know, it's like, have you ever had a situation where you talk to somebody about studying the Bible, and you said, I have these great Bible studies, and they said, well, I'll study with you, but I'm like, why don't we study something like the book of John? Why don't we, what's happening, let me just be clear with you what's happening there. They don't want to know what you have to say. They, they're not open. And, and so when you're in a situation, I wouldn't discourage you from sharing but you get to a point where, and this is the same thing with family members or whatever, um, sometimes we, and we haven't gotten into this yet, but there's a difference between ripe fruit and unripe fruit. And I've given this illustration before that if you have, imagine there you've got two orange trees. I'm standing between two orange trees here. Here, this is an orange tree, and you can be an orange tree. And this orange tree has these bright orange oranges. They're ripe, ready to be picked. This orange tree has all these green uh, the oranges worst. on it. And... But my eye is fixed on this one green orange. It's just what the one, it's the one that I want to, I think this is the one I need to harvest, okay? If I keep focused on that, now eventually, in this case, it, it should turn orange, okay? But if I keep my focus on that, and I'm just going to wait, and that's all I'm going to focus on, what's going to happen to all the orange oranges? They're going to overripen, they're going to rot, and I'm going to lose them, right? What if instead I would pick some orange oranges and then I check back on this orange? Hey, look, it's not green anymore. It's a greenish orange. Still not ready to pick. I'm going to go pick some more. Come back to this. Eventually, not only will I get this orange, but I'll get all these oranges. And time doesn't permit right now to say that people are ready, ripe at different stages in their experience. And a person who isn't ripe today Maybe right tomorrow, but when you're in a situation, it sounds to me like there's not the, the real desire to know the truth. That doesn't mean I wouldn't keep pressing. There's a place where Ellen White says in evangelism that we're not only to strike when the iron is hot, but make the iron hot by striking. So sometimes you introduce things to try to arrest the attention. That doesn't mean striking the people. Don't misunderstand. <laughs> but you're trying to arrest the attention. And sometimes that works. But a lot of times we find ourselves in trying to witness to people that just really aren't open. And I'll tell you the net result, I've seen it over and over, is we start to think, well, I guess I'm no good at this evangelism thing. I just can't see, no, nobody ever seen, I've tried to get Bible studies that don't work. 
and we say, I'm not cut out for it, when reality is, it's not you at all. It's the soil, mm -hmm. right? The parable of the sower, there's only one variable. It wasn't the sower. It wasn't the seed. You didn't need a different sower. Well, get a new sower in there. It knows what he's doing. No, it wasn't a new seed. Well, get some seed that works. No, it was the soil in every case. wasn't the method. Well, this guy threw the soil in this way. This guy tossed the soil in this way. It wasn't methodology. These are always the things we pick on when, the, when it isn't working. And we often overlook the fact that the soil of the heart is, major, is a major issue. And so in this particular case, now I don't know for sure in your, I'm just, it sounds like so many situations where people simply aren't open right now to the truth. When that person says, I'm going to study John, they just don't want to study Adventist stuff right now. That doesn't mean they won't be interested later. But for me personally, I only have so much time. I can only give so many Bible studies. You're in the same boat. I want to find somebody who really wants to learn and wants to know. And it uh, doesn't mean I won't ever study the book of John with somebody. I'm not saying that. We'll cover this more. We're, we're out of time here. But um, what it means is we want, we want to find and pray the Lord lead us to those people that are actually open. And um, when we run into people that aren't open, we can just knock our heads at uh, trying to find all these different ways to get their attention. And nothing works and discourages us. And it's not anything we're doing. It's just that they're not, right now, they're not open to the truth. Well, and there's a statement from, and this is from Maranatha, page 24, it's from other places too, but it says, It may be that you will not at once see the results of your labor, but this should not discourage you. Take Christ as your example. He had many hearers, but few followers. You know, you think about, like, did when in his interview with the rich young ruler, the rich young ruler turned away. Is the lesson we learned from that, Christ did it wrong? Of course, it's almost blasphemous to even suggest that as an option. On uh, the feeding of the five, uh, the day after he, you know, fed them. Uh, was that? I just checked. Four thirty is our. Yeah, four thirty-three-ish. Yes, is about. <laughs> but in the feeding of the five thousand, you know, in John chapter six, everybody loved them. The next day, they come back for seconds, literally, and there they they made that a testing truth. Well. If you're really the son of God, you know, Moses fed them every day in the wilderness. What did we get to? And he said, look, the bread you get today is from heaven. It's me. I am the bread of life. And it got so bad, John 6, 66, one of the most famous, easy to remember texts, you know, that from that day on, many followed him no more. In fact, it got so bad, he turned to his closest 12 and said, do you leave too? Did Jesus, did he get too, too quick? He went from disinterested benevolence to... To planting the seed, and he did it too. No. The thing is, that, and again, I go back to the parable of the, the sower. Most of the ground represented wasn't good. We live in enemy territory. People are not inherently, naturally prone to being open to spirit. The carnal mind is enmity, right? They, now, praise the Lord that God has put enmity in, in us so we can want those good things, but not everyone's receptive to that, not really interested at this time, you know? So don't be surprised when it doesn't work the majority of the time. That's the teaching and the example of Jesus. But I wouldn't for a minute call his mission a failure, and we shouldn't be discouraged because we see the same thing. It's just the nature of the war. But God does have those people who are responsive, and it's our job to go help find them to work with them. We do have to close down, so you're going to say something in five seconds. Whoa. <laughs> I'm not much of a farmer. My passion is basketball, so I kind of put things in the terms of basketball. Okay. But you don't shoot. You'll miss 100% Love it. of the shots you don't take. Yeah, it's Amen. so much better to risk failure than guarantee fail by not trying. You're always going to get two things that are good. One, you're going to get it. Number two, you get a rebound. Number three, the other guy gets it. Well, two out of three is always better than... There you go. <laughs> Thank you for that coaching. You gotta, Amen. You gotta get off out. Amen. You gotta get out. And you can't pick and choose what opportunities or what shots come along. You gotta take them. All right. In other words, when Philip comes along, you go, oh, I didn't like Philip. I didn't like Philip. Or I didn't like Ethiopian. <laughs> well, I don't know Ethiopians. Well, he's got a different culture than me. No, you don't do that. You just say yes. And then you give it a shot, and you give it your best shot, 
Absolutely. You kind of let God do it. I love that finishing line. That's great. We need to wrap this up. Thank you so much for all your input and comments, but we're just going to bow our heads for a word of prayer and then we'll let you go. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you again give us the privilege of working with you for the winning of souls and the building up of your kingdom. Lord, we want to continue to not only hear the theory and the philosophy, we want to put it into practice. We want to see practical application of these things. So individually and as representatives of local church families, help us to do your work your way. Help us to follow the footsteps of Jesus and not be discouraged, but just follow the word of God and let the consequences fall with you. But we trust you. We know that your word is true and that the harvest is sure. So let us be faithful and useful until you come. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.